Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal circumstances, situation, or needs. So today we've got a book review and it's on one of the, if not the most, well-known book on value investing and it's The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. So we're, we're trying to prove we're literate today. Yeah. And that we've read books. <laughs> so we're taking a little different approach today. Mm-hmm. So normally we try to be very timely and we record these things. The either, week of. Yeah, either yeah. the week of when they come out or maybe sometimes two weeks before. Mm-hmm. But we're both going away for Christmas. Yeah. And we want to keep these things up. So mm-hmm. we are actually recording this on Melbourne Cup Day. We are. Yeah. So it's early. And it's currently 1.55 p.m. So. so we might have either missed it or. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I think it's at 2 p.m., I think. Okay. Well, since this is going to last more than five minutes, I think then it's safe to say that we've missed it. Mm. Um, but anyway, so this is our, our Christmas episode. It is. Yeah. yeah. So happy Christmas. Yeah. You know, you as well. I hope you're having a good time on leave. I'm sure I will be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know if it's going to feel like Christmas wandering through the CBD back to my apartment tonight full of like drunken hordes of Melvin Cup, you know, mm. party goers. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So as you said, we're going to go through The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. So Ben Graham is referred to as the father of value investing, but by profession, he was an economist, professor, and investor. There's not a father by profession. Yeah, no, he wasn't. Exactly. So he wrote this book in 1949, and it was a follow-up to his first book, which was called Security Analysis. And what Graham set out to achieve with The Intelligent Investor was to provide a text that could be easily understood by the everyman. And that would allow people to successfully use value investing techniques within the stock market. And continuing our longstanding drinking game, Buffett read The Intelligent Investor when he was 19 years old and when he went to Columbia Business School. Graham became Buffett's professor. Buffett maintains that The Intelligent Investor is by far the best book on investing ever written. So with that glowing review, let's get into it. And we have a good, we have a quote from Buffett later. Yeah, so. So yeah, don't finish your whole drink. (laughs) Don't scull it. Yeah, or go grab one out of the fridge (laughs) while you're listening to this. Um, So Before we start this review, we need a bit of a caveat about Graham. So like any book, it's important to understand the author and the perspective they bring to understand the context with which you should view the book. So Graham described or developed his investment philosophy um, as a result of the Great Depression. So he started working on Wall Street in 1914. Um, Shani likes to make jokes that I was around then. What was and, it like? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was crazy. Uh, <laughs> Melbourne Cup Day was huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he started working on Wall Street in 1914, and he built up a pretty sizable amount of money and then lost most of it during the share market fall in 1929. And obviously, like it would on anyone else, this had a pretty profound influence on him. And afterwards, he became fixated on buying shares of companies that were trading below their liquidation value. That means that he wanted to buy a business where if you sold the assets of a company, the land, factories, equipment and cash, you could pay back all the debt and still have more money than the share price. And this was something that was possible in the early 30s after the stock market crash, but isn't possible now. So when you read the book, you'll see a lot of it is talking about this approach to investing, which just isn't possible now because valuation levels have risen. Yeah. So once you've gotten this context and look past the specifics, that he provides about securities, you can take a step back and think about the foundational truths that he is exposing about investing. And it is those truths and how they fit into our investment philosophy at Morningstar that we'll speak about today. 
One other note, Warren Buffett called chapters 8 and 20 the most important to understand for investors. And he said, I read a book called The Intelligent Investor, and I did that when I was 19 down at the University of Nebraska. And I would say that if you absorb the lessons of The Intelligent Investor, particularly in chapters 8 and 20, you will not behave like a lemming and you may do very well compared to the lemmings. I think it's as great a book now as I did when I read it in early, early in 1950. You can't get a bad result if you follow the lessons Ben Graham taught in that book. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good quote. Loves right? it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so fundamentally, what Graham says is for investors to be successful, they need to focus on the underlying business and not the stock, stock prices or market movements. So a key lesson in this book is to separate investing from speculation and to consider yourself as an investor in a business instead of a speculator in an arbitrary financial instrument. And he starts this lesson right at the beginning of the book. He separates investments from speculation and he urges investors to use fundamental analysis of businesses instead of trying to pick the movements of the stock market. Which isn't a sustainable way of investing, seeing as no one has a crystal ball that will tell us where the market is going. And he offers one of the most profound analogies in all of investing to describe this concept. He says that investors should focus on the underlying business because at the end of the day, in the short run, the market is a voting machine, but in the long run, it is a weighing machine. And what Graham is saying when he says that is that the stock market may jump up and down in the short term, but eventually, the price of the stock and the underlying value of the business intersect in the long run. And this is what investing is. You conduct fundamental analysis to understand what an asset is worth, and you use that as a guide. So whether you think the current market price is over or undervaluing the asset. And this is what our equity analysts do. We won't focus too much on the mechanics of how they value an asset, but we'll go through an example about some of the factors that go into how they value an equity. At the heart of the valuation system is a detailed projection of a company's future cash flows. And this is going back to the fact that as an investor in a business, we care about the future cash flows generated by the business, not the past performance. Our analysts perform independent primary research and create custom industry and company assumptions to feed into the financial statements and ultimately into a discounted cash flow model. On top of this, the analysts use scenario analysis as well as in-depth competitive advantage analysis. The research is peer-reviewed and debated. With this process, it focuses analysts' efforts on long-term business drivers, which have the greatest valuation impact, rather than short-term market noise that has little impact on intrinsic value. So let's take link administration as an example. Our analyst Gareth, who covers this stock, would perform rigorous primary and secondary analysis to come to a determination about what this business is worth on a per-share basis. As we're recording this in early November, he believes that link is worth $6.35. It's currently sitting at $4.37. And Gareth is actually one of Shani's favorite analysts. Yeah, because he, he cares about individual investors. I mean, all of our analysts do, but he strongly believes in individual investors and their outcomes. And and he read your article in the AFR and then sent you a nice email about it. <laughs> he did that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just so people are aware, flattery gets you everywhere with, uh, with Shani. Yeah. Um, okay, so as Shani said, there's a gap between what Gareth thinks Link is worth and where it's currently trading. And if we take this at face value, we can say that Morningstar believes that it's significantly discounted and the market has mispriced this asset. And this is a concept that Graham covers in one of those famous chapters. He introduces us to the famous concept of Mr. Market. He personifies the market and gives it human qualities, which is fair because it's humans and our imperfections and emotions that can drive the market. And the Mr. Market that Graham describes is irrational and will pay wildly different prices for a share depending upon his mood. 
As investors, we can choose to take advantage of the price Mr. Market is willing to pay or sell a stock at, or we can ignore him, all depending upon how that price compares to the fair value of the share. So in this case, our analyst believes that Mr. Market is overly pessimistic on Link. Link is currently trading at a five-star price, which represents our biggest risk-adjusted discount to a share's fair value, whereas a one-star stock would be trading at a premium to its intrinsic value. So the fair value that our analysts determine are only one part of the story, and this is in line with what Graham believes as well. There are four key components that we will include to determine the risk-adjusted discount, and that's the fair value we discussed, economic moats, which which we speak about often, the uncertainty rating around the fair value, and then, of course, the current market price. So let's single out the uncertainty rating, which is a concept that Graham speaks about at length in The Intelligent Investor and is covered in the other famous chapter, 20. And this is not something that should just happen at an analyst's desk. It's something that all investors should build into their models or even just their understanding of price and value. The uncertainty rating is our way of including a margin of safety into our equity research. Graham introduces a concept of a margin of safety, speaking about how you must build in a buffer when assigning value to equities. For example, if you value a business at $100 million and it was trading at $95 million, would you take the risk that the analysis was perfectly sound and accounts for any future deviations from business performance, strategy, market, or economic conditions? You want to make sure that you have a little bit of leeway. Okay, so let's bring Buffett back into this because God knows everyone needs another drink, right? <laughs> you know, especially around the holidays. Exactly. Um, but he actually has a great analogy for the margin of safety. So he says, if you understood a business perfectly and the future of the business, you would need very little in the way of a margin of safety. So the more vulnerable the business is, assuming you still want to invest in it, the larger margin of safety you'd need. If you're driving a truck across a bridge that says it holds 10,000 pounds and you've got a 9,800-pound vehicle, the bridge is six inches above the crevice it covers, maybe you'll feel okay. But if it's over the Grand Canyon, you may want a little bit bigger of a margin of safety. (laughs) Exactly right. And that includes another dimension of the margin of safety, that different degrees of safety are needed depending on the stability and predictability of the environment in which the business that we're analyzing operates in. So let's go back to Link. Link's uncertainty rating is medium. Gareth looks at a few things when determining this, but believes that the principal risk that Link faces is competition from a larger competitor in its share registry business and disruption to the business model from new technology. So we look at uncertainty from a lot of dimensions, from competitors, the market, regulation, and legislation that may change how the business operates and how profitable they are. And this is a lot of information. It's a full-time job of an analyst, and it isn't something that's realistic for a lot of investors to sit down and do on their own especially if you have dozens and dozens of shares. So a practical way of doing the same is a list, which our analysts also do, which is a bull say and bear say list. For this exercise, you look at what a bull or an optimist might say about this company and its future prospects. You then do the same for the bear, the pessimist. As investors, we're vulnerable to confirmation bias. We'll seek out information that confirms our point of view and ignore information that might challenge our view and all our stocks What our analysts do is consider two scenarios in addition to their base case. The assumptions are chosen so the analysts believe there's a 25% probability that the company will perform better than the bull case and a 25% probability that the company will perform worse than the bear case. The distance between the bull and bear case is an important indicator of the uncertainty underlying the fair value estimate. The more uncertain we are about the estimated value of the equity, the greater the discount we require relative to our estimate of the value of the firm 
before we would recommend the purchase of the shares. So let's go to the bull and bear case for Link. Bulls say that Link has the opportunity to grow its earnings 9% a year over the next decade. This includes the benefit of cost-cutting measures and market share growth in funds administration. We also believe that asset-like business models will allow Link to return to a good deal of excess funds to shareholders through dividends. Mark, do you want to take the bear case? You did write a three-part article series at the beginning of this year calling yourself a lonely bear. Yeah, I actually just wrote lonely, but then when it was edited, <laughs> somebody thought they should put another word in there so I didn't sound as pathetic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, okay, so what do bears have to say about Link? So bears say many of Link's services have become relatively commoditized and they are at risk from sizable competitors in each of their main business lines. They also say that despite their services becoming very efficient, there's the opportunity for disruption by a new technology provider. So the lesson that we can garner from this is that there's all, it's always important to build in a buffer when you're determining an asset's fair value. No one can predict the future and conditions will always change. So try to see it from the perspective of a pessimist if you're buying and an optimist if you're selling. It will combat that confirmation bias and even if your position doesn't shift after that exercise, you'll at least be more confident in your rationale and your decision. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our top picks across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. Okay, so we've covered that investing shouldn't be speculation and you should build in a buffer when you're investing. We speak about economic moats in almost every episode of this podcast, but let's look at it through the lens of Graham. The concept of moats, of course, came from Buffett, and this book predates that thinking. And moats are spoken about by Graham in the context of financial strength. That's right, Mark. He believes that if you are investing in a stock, it should have earning stability, and that can be shown by positive earnings in the last 10 years. He also believes that you can derive stability from dividend payments, and that the companies should hold a long record of around 20 years of stable dividends to shareholders. They're all signs of moats. And it's great when you found a company like this, but how much are you actually willing to pay for it? One side of investing is understanding when you found a great company that you want to own. The other side of investing is actually acquiring it at an attractive price. And Mark, I know you've spoken about this, but something investors can do from a practical standpoint is something that you do yourself. Yeah, no, that's right, Chani. So I have done that for a while and I keep a list of what I consider to be great companies with strong financials. And from what I can see, at least strong future prospects that I'd love to own. And they just might not be at the right price for me to buy right now. So I keep that list next to my enemies list. And <laughs> Who's on your enemies list? A lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. Growing by the day. Um, but, uh, but yeah, basically, I just keep my eye out for these stocks. And I have a cash buffer to take advantage of the opportunities if they do arise. So there are a couple central concepts that Graham speaks about in his book. And these are two core themes that we believe all investors should know, and they're both related. So the first is that the market is uncertain. It is irrational, and you know you should expect it to be volatile. There's no predictor of where the market will go. 
So take last year, for example. The economy was sinking. Businesses were shutting down because of harsh and extended lockdowns. People were being laid off, yet the markets were rising. There is an irrationality to the markets that many try to tame. But as an investor, all you can do is understand that volatility is to be expected and prepare for it when planning your portfolio and your investment policy statement. The second core concept is connected to the above, and it's that it's so important to understand what you're investing in, both in terms of the asset that you're investing in and the business. Understanding this means you're able to ignore the market noise a lot better because you have a strong foundational understanding of why you are investing in the business, and that can help you hold your position in times of volatility. Without this fundamental understanding, it's very easy for investors, and this has been proven time and time again, to waver in their faith of the position and sell. It also happens the other way. When investors want to ride the wave of good fortune when markets are going up, not understanding what they're investing in and whether it's trading above its intrinsic value. Yeah, so one final disclaimer that relates to what we said in the beginning. So the approach that's championed by Graham in the book is value investing and a very pure form of value investing. When we look back at the financial indicators that Graham speaks about in this book, you eliminate almost all companies right now, but especially the growth companies that have prospered in the last decade. And you only have to look back in the last decade or so to see the difficulty that many value investors faced when growth stocks significantly outperform value. But the core concepts apply to all forms of investing. So Buffett's approach has evolved over time from being a you know, pure Graham adherent to moving to a place where he's willing to pay more for companies as long as they are great companies and have economic moats. So just remember, this book is not just for value investors. It is for everyone. And look at those fundamental concepts and apply them to your own investing approach. All right. Well, thank you guys very much. That is our Christmas episode. Mm -hmm. We did it. We did it. We did want to wish everybody a wonderful Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. We know it's an opportunity for a lot of people to finally get away after a very, exactly, after a very, very long year. So we appreciate all your support. Mm -hmm. And yeah, can't wait for, uh, can't wait for next year. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.